into the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8 today. Now, I had said this the other week. We actually were in uh, chapter 7, which was talking about sin and repentance and the need to run from sin, not just from sin, but to God. And I had said the other week that I love expository preaching because it allows me to rightly claim I didn't choose the passage that we're in today. I have, I have chosen the book through prayer. Uh, God, what book would you have me preach through? And then once God gives me the book, I just preach through the book. And whatever is there in the book at that time is what I'm going to preach. I'm not choosing the text based off of uh, what I think this church needs to hear or uh, what has happened over the last week. There's a danger in that. And so I'm just preaching through the Bible. And uh, i gotta, I got to tell you a quick story before I get to this text. I do not know how much money you give. I have said that many times. If you've been here longer than a few months, you know that. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. So don't tell me, all right? Even if you did, there'd be no way for me to validate that. I don't know how much money you put, and I won't say in the offering plate because we don't take up an offering in this church. If you want to give, some of you said, Pastor Russ, where do I give money? Like, there's nowhere to put it. I said, well, there's some boxes on the back walls. You can put it in there. Or most people just give online. But if you've been here more than once, you know we don't have an offering that we take up. There's, there's no prayer or songs or me speaking through and, and commanding that the plates go back again because not enough came in. That doesn't happen here. If you want to give, it is purely out of your desire to invest in God's kingdom. Also, uh, we do have monthly, uh, quarterly business meetings every three months. And we go over with the church what, what, what came in and what went out. We do not discuss what individual people gave because, again, only a handful, people, handful of people in this church know that. I'm not one of them. My wife is not one of them. No one on the pastoral staff or their wives are one of them. The only people who know who gave are people who are not on the pastoral staff. And there's, there's about three or four of them. So there's some accountability there. But, folks, um, I do know how much does come in as a whole. Sam does a great job of giving me that breakdown. And I do know generally how much is going out every week, at least every month. I know that. And this last week, Sam came to me and said, Pastor Russ, our missions giving is a little down. Um, he, he didn't give me the full details. I can read into it. Not as many people are giving missions right now. Some put it on hold. Maybe some have forgotten to give towards missions. And he said, unfortunately, unless some comes in, we won't be able to pay our missionaries this month. And that, that rarely happens. Usually, Sam is paying the missionaries every three months. There's so much in missions fund, we're, we're paying them months in advance. And I said, all right, Sam, well, you know, let's not worry about it. You know, God always takes care of everything that we need here. And I have never once, since I've been as a pastor, never once have I had to go to a text in the Bible and preach on giving to require you to give or to force you to give. I've always preached through the books of the Bible God gives me. The only uh, other time has been in Missions Month, I choose mission-themed texts, which could include giving and other things. That's it. But then after Sam uh, came to me, I looked to the text that we are going to be looking at this morning. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, do you to wit or know, that word wit means we want you to know, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, 
They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift. Now, that's money, all right? They took up an offering. And take up upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Guys, this is, this is downright ridiculous. Not only is the text that God has us in today on giving, it is on specifically missions giving. Now, I got to say, God is awesome because I'm going to tell you, this church doesn't have a problem with giving. And in spite of the fact that we don't take up offerings, it, it blows. I tell Sam regularly, I said, wow, it's like the, the fountain never ends. God just keeps blessing this ministry with finances far and above what you would expect in a room this size. Far and above. The issue of this church, if, we, if you know, we got issues, right? We're not perfect. I can tell you, one of them's not a lack of giving. This church, you guys are givers. I'm not going to say all of you because I don't know which ones. I just know that this church is full of givers. But there is an area right now. I'm not saying it's due to a weakness of this church. I'm not saying it's due to uh, a sin in your life. It could be a forgetfulness. It could be uh, an unawareness. But right now, this church is low on missions giving, missions funds. I think we got about 1,000 sitting in there, Sam, right? And we need about twenty three or 2,500 to pay our missionaries for the month. We're, we're 1,300 or so short. And here God brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and lovingly prods us in that direction and says, hey, I want to remind you of the need to give towards missions. Now, let me explain the background here. The Apostle Paul had actually spoken of this in 1 Corinthians. Some of you, as I'm preaching, might start thinking, Pastor Russ, you preached this message before. I've heard this before. And I'm not going to preach it the same way, but it is a similar text because in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul dealt with the same thing. And you want to hear something really crazy? When I preached this last year, when I was in 1 Corinthians last year, the exact same thing had happened. Last year, we were at a point where our missions giving was down and we needed to pay our missionaries. And we came to that place in 1 Corinthians where it talked about missions giving. And then this year, the, the month that we're down, and we are doing, we've been good all year. The month we're down, here we are again. God's bringing us to a similar text in 2 Corinthians. So this is not me telling you what to do. This is not telling me telling you to give. This is me taking you to the word of God where God is lovingly saying and reminding us of the need to give towards those who don't have, specifically missions. So the title of this morning's message, Missions Offering. I'm not going to read the rest of the text. We'll read through it as I preach through it. You, as, at all times, I encourage you to read the Bible yourself. As I am preaching it, do not just close your Bible and listen to me. You should be, if you're going to close your Bible, then listen to God, not me. The better way is to keep your Bible open, to read through it, and to listen to God without being distracted by what I say overly much, okay? So let's listen to God this morning as we look in his word. I see three points in this morning's message, willing gift, a loving gift, and a sacrificial gift. But, but you notice all three are a gift. This is not something that will be forced from you. It is not something that will be uh, abusive in any way because, again, I wouldn't know what you're going to give. I don't know what you're going to give. I don't want to know what you're going to give. And if you give, you're going to give for God. Let's see number one, a willing gift, verses one through five. Moreover, brethren, we do to wit or know, we want you to know of the grace of God. All right, so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, I want you to know about what the church is, plural, in Macedonia. Macedonia is a region, like New England is a region with multiple states. Macedonia was a region with multiple large cities. 
uh, Philippi uh, being one of them and, and others. And he says, this region of Macedonia, he says, Corinthian church, I want you to know that they have gone above and beyond. I want you to know about how much they gave. Why would the Apostle Paul say that to the Corinthian church? I think the Apostle Paul, he's not stupid. He's hoping the Corinthian church will take up an offering, which, by the way, a year ago in 1 Corinthians, they claimed that they would and had not done yet. The Corinthian church said and committed, we will take up an offering specifically for the church in Jerusalem. You say, well, Jerusalem, that's not the mission field. It was to these churches. It's like almost like Meriden Hills taking up offerings and sending money to churches in foreign fields. And then if we had a problem, our burning, building burnt down or something happened, the churches in the foreign fields said, you know what? You've been giving us money for 20 years. We want to take up an offering and send it back to you. Well, we're not the foreign field for ourselves, but we're a foreign field to them. And so these churches who were the foreign field to the church of Jerusalem, Jerusalem had been sending missionaries like Paul and Barnabas to Corinth, to Macedonia, that region. Now these churches, when Jerusalem was struggling, it seems historically there might have been a famine. A lot of the Christians were suffering, losing. Uh, if, you look, if you look at the book of Acts, the first part of Acts, people were selling their properties and giving the money to Jerusalem to distribute across uh, both Jerusalem and abroad. And so now when there's a famine, a lot of these people had basically given their properties away, had, had, had very little to to do with now. So these churches saying, we want to give back to you. And so Jerusalem was now the mission field to Corinth. Jerusalem, the hub of Christianity, was now the mission field to Macedonia. And so the apostle Paul says, a year ago, you guys said you would give to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's still struggling. They're still in need. And I haven't received from you yet the promised offering. So what is he saying? He's saying, I did get it from Macedonia. I got it from the whole region of Macedonia. I didn't get it from you guys yet. Do you think there might be a little shaming going on there? Possibly. Possibly the Apostle Paul was trying to help them recognize they had an obligation and they should meet it. But here's what he does have to say in verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches. Meaning the Macedonian churches, some of them were under tribulation themselves. Some of them were struggling themselves, but they gave some. Others weren't struggling because it was a region. Some cities were better off than others. And other cities and other churches were doing very well. And so they gave of their abundance. So some who had a lot gave a lot. Some who didn't have as much gave something. And he said when it came all together, it was amazing how much money came out of that region. He says in verse number three, for to their power I bear record Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. I, Sam, I want you to stand right now and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't I not say constantly it, it, the, the money that comes in from this church seems to be way above and beyond what you'd expect in some way, right? I say something like that on a regular basis. This church is verse 3. You guys really are. I am constantly not quoting verse 3 to Sam, but in a way, paraphrasing, this church just constantly seems to give beyond what the ability is you would think this church would have beyond regularly, not just one week, not just one month, not just around Christmas time. It is regularly that I am seeing as a pastor an abundance, and I know that not all of you have an abundance. That I'm aware of, which is just more shocking, that you are giving beyond the power someone would expect from, from a, a church like Meriden Hills. Verse 4, praying us with much entreaty, meaning the, the Macedonian churches, we didn't force the money from them. The Apostle Paul says, because I knew so many of them were afflicted. 
They were in trouble. They were in trials. They were struggling. I, I didn't, you know, he probably didn't shame them like he is Corinthian church. But he says, they basically entreated me. They prayed me. They, not, not in the prayer of, of, of asking, but almost uh, uh, be, requesting the, you know, Paul, please take our money. Paul says, no, I, I can't take this. It's too much. No, no, please take it all. And the Apostle Paul said something like, look, you guys, your churches are struggling too. Take, I'll take half, all right? I'll take half. You redistribute the half. I'm, I'm just kind of assuming right now. The Bible doesn't say this is what Paul said. The Bible says, Paul claims, they basically forced my hand. They basically made me. They basically uh, requested strongly that I would take all of the money, not just some of it. And the Apostle Paul took it because it was offered willingly. So a willing gift, letter A, those who experience God's grace are more likely to show God's grace. Hey, did the Jerusalem church deserve the amount of giving from Macedonia? No. You, you might be able to make a claim that they deserve some giving. I mean, the Jerusalem church had supported uh, foreign churches, sending missionaries, sending funds. So maybe there is some obligation of the Macedonian churches and the Corinthian churches to give back to Jerusalem, some but did they deserve the amount that, that the Apostle Paul is referring to here? I don't think so. The Apostle Paul doesn't think so. So how could these churches who were struggling, many of them struggling financially themselves, struggling, were not able to have all the things that they wanted, how could they be so gracious to the Jerusalem church? How could they give so much? Well, we're given a hint here. It says in verse 2, uh, they gave the abundance of their joy unto the riches of their liberality, meaning they had experienced, and if you see verse 1, we, do wit, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. They had experienced for themselves God's grace. And because they, you could say they experienced God, they wanted others to experience God. Because God had done something amazing in their churches, they wanted God to do something amazing in other churches. Because for the last years they'd been receiving funds from Jerusalem and other places, and praise the Lord, this came at right at the exact right time, these churches are saying, hey, you know what? Let's do that for someone else now. Let's pass that forward, right? Let's pass the funds on to other churches who can say, praise the Lord, it came at the right time. When you experience God's grace, you have a higher desire to pass God's grace on to someone else. Now, you say, Pastor Russ, I sure would love to experience God's grace. You know, my kids will experience my grace, and all they have to do is one thing. Stay with me. If my children hang out with me long enough, eventually, sooner than later, I'm going to give them ice cream. I'm going to give them something. I'm going to buy pizza for them. I'm going to take them places. We're going to go to an amusement park. We're going to go to the park. We're going to go on a hike. We're going to do something great that they don't deserve and they didn't earn. They didn't work for it. I'm just going to give it to them. They hang out with me long enough, they're going to get it for free because I love them. Christians, you say, I don't really experience God's grace. Could it be because your relationship with God is hot and cold? With God, away from God, with God, away from God. And your time with God is limited to one to two hours on a Sunday morning. It's not enough time to experience God's grace. you got to hang out with them a little longer, Christian. Hang out with God throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. You hang out with my God of the Bible long enough, I guarantee you, you're going to experience his grace. You're going to get it. God's going to give. I'm not saying financially, okay? I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying today, God will bless you with money, now give to others. That is not the case. God's grace is far and above financial. God's grace emotionally, God's grace spiritually. Yes, it includes financial, but that's up to him when that's offered. 
God's grace of peace, God's grace of joy. Hang out with God long enough, it's going to happen. And then when it happens, you're going to be overjoyed to pass it on to someone else. Letter B, those who find joy in God's kingdom are more likely to give towards God's kingdom. So we saw in verse 1, they experienced God's grace. We find in verse 2 that joy, uh, even in their deep poverty, the joy of the Lord in their life abounded in what they offered to others. Not because of what they had, but because of who they had. Not because of how much money was in their bank account, but because of how much they had given of themselves to their God. They were overjoyed to be serving such an awesome God. And in service to this awesome God, they had joy even in difficult times. In their poverty, we read. In their tribulation, there was joy. And as they experienced that joy, they gave towards God's kingdom. Letter C. Those who surrender to God's will are more likely to live generously. Verse 3, for to their power I bear record and beyond their power. Right, so we talked about that, verses 3 and 4, how they gave above and beyond what uh, even the apostle Paul expected or wanted. Verse 3, but they are willing themselves. At the end of verse 3, they gave it willingly. Above and beyond, willingly. I get upset. I'm a pastor. I get upset when I hear messages where the spiritual leader, whoever that might be and whatever they call themselves, apostle so-and-so, preacher so-and-so, brother so-and-so, I don't care what the title is they put in front of their name, sister so-and-so, whatever their title, when they start abusing people and forcing people to give, that bothers me greatly. And I'm a preacher. It is not the role of the preacher to take from anyone. It is the role of the preacher to give to everyone and then to encourage you to consider giving as well. But there's a line crossed in a lot of messages. A line is crossed in a lot of preachers from let me show you how to give to if you don't give, do you really love God? If you don't give, are you really a Christian? If you don't give, we're not going anywhere. The plate's going to keep going back and forth until you do give. A line has been crossed. The Apostle Paul says they gave willingly. They, they almost begged me to take it because they had joy of the Lord, because they experienced the grace of the Lord, because they had surrendered to God. And since they surrendered to God, everything they had was God's. Verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. It means when he says not as we hoped, it means Paul said, in my head. I had, a, I, I guess, I had a, you know, he had a number, he had a figure that he expected to come from Macedonian churches. I, I, would, I would be thrilled if this number, I would hope this amount of money would come from their offering. And he says they gave not as I hoped. He already talked about it being more, which means they gave above and beyond even I could hope from them. So they gave so generously, it was above what I even hoped they could give. But of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. I want to say this before we, go any further, before we go to our next point and any further. If God doesn't have you, then do not give. And say this again. Meriden Hills does not want you to give if God doesn't have you. Because if you give, you'll do so bitterly. Or you'll give thinking that somehow you're going to earn God's respect for you. 
or you're going to think that it will somehow earn your way to a better place in heaven or earn your way to heaven. And a lot more damage is done from an unbeliever or a weak believer thinking that by giving they've earned something. A lot of damage is done there, if not outright bitterness. And I, as a leader, do not want that from anyone in this church, in this room. So I can say right now, if you're a visitor, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sorry you came today on a day we're talking about giving, but kind of not. It's, you know, God's the one that chose it, not me. But this message is not intended for our visitors today. All right? I'm not saying this so our visitors will drop money in the black boxes or give online. I am talking to God's people who have given themselves to God. Because those who have given themselves to God in his will, following him, will live generously. Because when God has you, he's got everything that you've got. Does God have you? If not, then let's start with that. Don't give any money if God doesn't have you. Go back to the beginning and say, God, I want to give myself to you. Let's start there. So, a willing gift. Number two, a loving gift. Verse 6 through 10. And so much that we desired Titus. Titus was the one that took the letter back and forth from 1 Corinthians uh, from the Apostle Paul, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Titus, it seems to be, was the one collecting the funds. And he says, I'm hoping that when Titus goes back to you with this letter, you know, 2 Corinthians, that when he comes back from you, he'll come back from you with the money that you promised you would give, right? I'm hoping that we'll see that. Verse 7, therefore, as ye abound in everything, he says, your faith has increased, your uh, utterance, meaning what you say, you're, you're no longer scared. You're not hiding in the corners. You as a church in Corinth, you Corinthian church, you are out boldly speaking the truth. You are uttering the truth. You're not, you're not uh, hiding in the shadows, hiding in your homes from the, from the culture who disagrees with God's word. In your faith, in your utterance, and your knowledge. You're not a shallow church who's just singing floaty songs to feel good. You are a church who knows the word of God and wants to know it better in all diligence. You're committed. You guys, you guys are the real deal. You mean business and in your love to us. He says, you love me. I know you do. You prove that. In your response to the letter of 1 Corinthians, Corinthian church, you proved your love for God and for me. But he does say at verse 7, I'm asking that in the same way, your grace towards other also abounds, specifically giving financially towards missions. He's saying, I, I'm asking that what you give towards missions, towards churches who are struggling, don't have the funds that you have. He says, I'm asking that would also increase at the same level that your faith, your love, your, 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 um, your ability to speak the truth, your utterance, your knowledge, your diligence, your commitment, that your giving would also grow with that. And so I see letter A. We do not grow through our giving. Our giving increases through our growing, which is what I, why I made that point earlier. I do not want you to give if God doesn't have you. Because otherwise, uh, you're building the walls before the floor. And your, your house is going to fall down. And you're going to be shocked. You can say, God, I've given so much to your kingdom. I'm, I gave more than anyone in the church. I don't know how you could know that, but you might assume that. I gave so much to your church, God. I gave so much to missions. Why is my life falling apart? I essentially should have purchased your grace. And God's saying, because you never gave me yourself. Give me yourself first. We'll talk about giving other things later. But for those who have given themselves to God, when they grow closer to God, their giving will grow. You do not grow because you're giving. You're not going to be a better Christian, a stronger Christian, because you give more. You cannot buy sanctification. 
That word sanctification uh, implies the idea of the work that God does in our life to help us become more like Christ. You can't purchase that with money. You can't purchase that with tithes and offerings. So you will not be a better, stronger Christian because you drop a lot of money in the offering. No. You give God yourself, you increase in your faith, you increase in your utterance, you increase in your diligence, you increase in your love. Essentially, the fruit of the Spirit, a lot of those are the fruit of the Spirit, right? Increase in that, and then, naturally, your giving will increase as well. That's how it's supposed to look. Letter B. A practical outpouring of love is often evidenced through gifts. I love giving gifts. You know, it's interesting. Most people like to love the way they receive love. You've heard it, five love languages. It's not in the Bible, but it's a, it's a scientific way to view how do people communicate love. Uh, personally, I do not enjoy overly much receiving gifts. I, I like the idea of people loving me and giving a gift. It doesn't make my day. The best way to show me love and the best way to show me you don't love me is by acts of service. I'm an acts of service guy. If you know me long, you probably already figured that one out. And that is what I do naturally. People often ask, Pastor Russ, how do you, how do, you do so much for the church? Because I love this church. It's evidenced by what I do for this church. Not out of obligation. I don't, I don't get involved in so many things because I have to. That's true sometimes. Most of the time, it's because I love you. And I want to be involved with people and serve people that I love. So then why do I love gift giving so much if my love language is acts of service? You know why? Because gift giving is one of the easiest, quickest, most obvious ways to show someone you love them. It's an easy way to say, I love you, man. Hey, let me buy you lunch. You know how many, I have shocked so many people. I say, hey, let's go out to coffee. And they're shocked that I buy coffee. I guess pastors aren't supposed to buy coffee for people, right? I guess I'm supposed to hand it, like, scoot the check to them or, like, stretch and, you know, like, blow the check their way. I don't know. They just assume that if they're eating with me, they're going to buy the meal. I have shocked more people than you could know when I take the check and buy it. You're like, what? The pastor's buying lunch? Like, church is paying him way too much if he's buying coffee. Like, you know, what's going on with this guy? You know why? Because I just want them to know, I didn't, I didn't come here to get anything from you. I came here to be with you. And me paying for the check is, is the final confirmation. It was all about them, not about me. I'm not trying to get a free meal off of you, okay? And so it's a simple, easy way to just say, I love you. Our church does that very, very well for them, the community. You know why? Because it's simple, it's easy, and it speaks loudly, right? Have you noticed we also paired our gift giving with service? We do things for the community too, but it's almost always paired with the gift. If we're serving them, we're serving them through something while giving them something. Even, even at the Freedom Festival that we're having next week, we're doing a raffle. It's a free raffle. We're not betting. You're not going to buy a ticket and hope you win. It's a free raffle. Come get a ticket. You might or may not win. Why? Pastor Russ, it's a church. Why are we giving stuff away? Because we love them. Why do you give stuff at Christmas? Because you love your kids. Why do you give stuff at birthdays? Because you love people. If we love them, let's show them by giving them things. The raffle is not to entice them to come and be here and might win something. We're doing it throughout the whole time. The raffle is a way for me as a leader of this church to say, this church loves you and we want to show it to you by giving you a bunch of stuff. And we don't want anything in return. I saw quite a few advertisements the uh, 4th of July, various places being celebrated, Wallingford, Meriden, fireworks, different times, different days, different locations. And you know what a lot of places are doing? They're saying, come watch the fireworks here. And have you noticed what they're asking? $5 for parking, buy food, 
We're going to have a fundraiser. The ladies of our church or the men of our church are going to do this or sell this. Or, or, and it's all about money. They, it, if, you're, if your eyes are open, they're not really doing you a service. They're taking advantage of a holiday to take money from you. That's what they're doing. Freedom Festival, July 3rd. We're not taking a dime from anyone. In fact, it's going to cost us thousands, thousands of dollars to do what we're doing, all for the community, everything free, because we love them. And because I truly believe this, a practical outpouring of love is evidenced through gifts. It's not a bad thing. God does the same for us. A practical outpouring of his love is often given through gifts. Think about it. How many gifts has God given you in the form of relationships, in the form of stuff you don't even need, in the form of things you do need? Gift after gift after gift, God is a great gift giver. And I want to represent him to the community, so I want to represent that part of him, a gift giver. Letter C, the greatest gift giver will always be Christ. You will never outgive Christ. Don't even try. God is a great gift giver. And why? Because God is a great lover. And since God loves us so much, he gives a lot. Let's go to our third point now. We saw a willing gift, a loving gift. If you're going to give towards missions, do it because you love. You love God, and you love God's kingdom, and you want to give towards those you love. Number three, final point. There's three points under this final point, but final main point, a sacrificial gift. Verses 11 through 15. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, meaning you committed to an offering a year ago. We never got it. Let's see you follow through, all right? Perform the doing of this offering, that there was a readiness to will, meaning you wanted to a year ago. You were excited about it a year ago, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and you be burdened. You ever heard where it says, give till it hurts, and then keep giving a little more? I've heard that. Give till it hurts. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think that that's necessarily a biblical mandate for giving. You ever heard it said when it comes to missions, commit to a certain amount that you will give every month, and, and commit above and beyond what you are able to give, and then expect God to give it to you so you can give it out to missions. That's just a ploy to get you to commit more in the hopes that your guilt will follow through whether you can afford it or not. It's manipulation. It's not scriptural. You know what is scriptural? Do not give what you do not have. That's scriptural. Wow, you never thought you'd heard a preacher say that before, huh? Do not give what you do not have. Letter A. You cannot sacrifice what you don't have. Do not commit to giving more than you've got. It says right here in Corinthians, he says, if there be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. The apostle Paul himself said, do not commit to what you do not have. You can't sacrifice what you don't got. You sacrifice what you do have. And then he gives us further truth. Letter B, our sacrifice should not result in the need for others to sacrifice for us. So it's not enough to just understand, don't give what you don't have. Don't give all you have. Because if you give all you have, now someone has to give to you. What good did that do? All you just did was transfer someone's wealth to you or through someone else, you know, two other people, right? You robbed Paul to pay Peter, basically. 
What's the point of that? No, you don't transfer your money, all of it, to someone else. So someone else has to transfer their money to you. You say, what do I have now? And of what I have, what can I give out of love and a willing heart and mind? What do I want to give because I love? A willing gift and a loving gift. Now, it will be sacrificed because even if you sacrifice something you have but do not need, but you've got it, you say, you know what? I'm going to sell that. I'm going to take the money from that, and I'm just going to give it to missions. Great. But it was still a sacrifice. You no longer have it. Sacrifices are not just in reference to the things you need. It's in reference to anything you've got. If you have it and you sacrifice it, it's still a sacrifice even if you did not need it. And here's what I'm going to encourage you as a pastor. Do not sacrifice what you need. Don't sell your car, put the money in missions, and then ask for a ride to work every day. Don't do it. So sacrifice what you do not need, what you, only what you have and what you do not need. Whether money or whether stuff that you want to sell that you don't need and you want to give the funds to. Something like that. Don't ever sacrifice what you do not have. And do not ever sacrifice what you need. That's my suggestion to you because that was Paul's suggestion to the Corinthian church. And I think it's a great suggestion, which is why I'm passing it on to you. And now, the final statement under our final point, letter C. Biblical equality. This word equality means different things to different people. For some, equality means eliminating opportunity from those who could go higher so that they will stay as low as everyone else. For some, equality means pushing people superficially higher than they've earned or worked towards so that they can equal, equally match those who have worked hard to get here. Meaning, you worked hard, you went to college, you paid off your loan, uh, you have a job that pays very well, you have a nice house, multiple cars, and you worked hard to get there, no one gave it to you. Those who fight for equality says, let's give this person the same job you've got. They don't have an education. Just give them the job. Let them sit around and do nothing. Let's give them cars. Got to be the same make, model, and year. Let's give them a house right next to yours that's same as or better, even though they didn't make the same decisions as you. They didn't make the same effort as you. Let's give it to them so you're equal. Now, there's reasons for that. Well, this person didn't have the opportunities that you had. Well, that's debatable, right? There's a lot of things we've done that weren't opportunities that were given. They were opportunities that were taken, right? So it's hard to say how you got where you're at. But basically, those who fight for equality by superficially pushing people up often state it's because they didn't have the opportunities. But as I said, there's other views where it's not push them up, it's pull you down. You should sell all your cars and buy a junker. You should sell your house and get an apartment. I want to bring you down to everyone's level rather than push everyone up to your level. So there's different ways of looking at equality, and both of those are wrong. What is biblical equality? Right here, we're about to look at it, biblical equality. You ready? It's our final point. Biblical equality is not forced. It is offered. Look at verses 14 and 15. But by an equality, there it is, it's in the Bible. Uh, Equality is a biblical word. By an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and that their abundance also, Jerusalem, may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Jerusalem has supplied your want. It's your turn to supply for their want. And someday down the road, they'll do the same for you, and you'll do the same for them, and you'll keep supplying each other's wants as you all have your ups and downs in your life. As it is written, 
He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. This is in reference to the Old Testament in Exodus when the Jews were gathering up the manna that God had dropped on the ground. And we're told in, in Exodus that they would take their manna to their houses, and God said, only gather what you need. Well, some had overgathered, but they ended up distributing to others who the elderly family couldn't get out to gather. Their knees started hurting. They couldn't get enough for the family. Lots of small children driving them crazy. Couldn't get all the food. So some who overgathered took their abundance and said, well, I can't use it anyways because after tomorrow it's going rotten. I'm going to give it to you so you can eat today, and we'll all go back tomorrow and do it again. So those who were not able to gather enough for the day got from those who overgathered for the day. That's what this is talking about, Exodus. So you've gathered. You, you, pay, you did the work, right? You worked hard. I don't know if there's anyone in this room where money was just given to you. I, I don't know that anyone just had a massive inheritance. If you did, please, let's, I'd, I'd love to take you out the coffee. I'm buying, okay, if you had a massive inheritance. All right, I, don't know, I don't know anyone in this room that has that. Everyone in this room, you got what you got because you worked hard for it. You gathered it. And now God's saying, others also have gathered, but we're not able to gather as much. I mean, you do realize there's a country where, where the daily pay rate is like a buck, right? They worked eight hours, but they only got a dollar. I'm not here to, de- to de- debate against politics and government systems. I'm just stating a fact. They've gathered, and we're not able to gather as much as they needed. We've gathered, and we've gathered in abundance. Now, equality is not me taking from you and giving to them. Biblical equality is saying, I willingly, lovingly, sacrificially offer to those who have less. That is the beauty of God's economic system. You know, governments, socialism, communism, they're all about equality, they claim, but all they do is take and give. God's economy is, I'm giving to you and now challenging you to take of your abundance and pass it forward. So Christian, here we are, missions offering. We're done, that's the message, missions offering. It's not a message I preach often. You know why? Because God's word doesn't preach it often. You read through the texts of Scripture, you're not going to find messages on giving nearly as much as on faith and on spiritual growth, and that's mostly what I'm teaching on because that's mostly the things that God's word is teaching on. But when it's here, I will preach on it, and here we are, and here I am. And ironically, if (laughs) irony maybe has nothing to do with it, God is in control. Having me preach this message in the week that literally Sam said, Russ, we can't pay our missionaries this week. So what can you do about it? You can willingly, lovingly, sacrificially get online, our website, and go down to the bottom, and you can give and make sure you push the tab for missions giving, and you give towards missions. You can drop a check or cash in those back boxes, and you can put missions or missionaries on it. But look, it's not enough just to give once. We have missionary finances every month that we support. And you could say, like the Corinthians, I'm going to commit. And some of you did. You committed last year. I'm going to commit to giving this much. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, all right, you committed. Now where's the following through with the commitment? Where's the actual action attached to the commitment that we saw last year? Because there are churches. They're gathering, but they're not gathering enough. And we have gathered much. And we, God is doing so much to this church. I love this church, and I love what God is doing with you and through you. I am not berating your giving. I am challenging you as you grow in the Lord to ask yourself, is my giving also growing? And if you're giving and it hurts, stop giving. 
Honestly, stop it. Give yourself to God and let God grow your giving after you have grown closer to him. Let's pray.